Shannon Russell went from a successful career as a television producer to opening her own franchise of a science, tech, engineering and math education business, Snapology, as well as being a second act career coach. Shannon helps women across the world through her second act success podcast and coaching business, inspiring them to chase their dreams and make the most of their life. This episode, you will learn that we can have many careers and adventures through our lives and that it's never too late to make a change. So television was something that I've wanted to work in in one way, shape or form since I was probably in first grade. I made a California bank with my um, parents and that was where I would just anytime I got money from my grandparents, it would go in there. I just knew I wanted to work in Hollywood um, somehow. Um, and then I just remember learning what a producer does and how that's kind of the person who's behind the scenes and, you know, really taking that idea and making it a reality. And so that was really perked my interest. And I purposely went to college, a school that had really good communications program. So I went for communications and film and I got internships. I just learned about news. Um, I worked in Manhattan um, at CBS News, realized I really didn't want to be in news. And then I ended up at MTV. And that's where I really learned about like the fun television, like really working with celebrities and the entertainment side of things. And, you know, just really every aspect of what it takes to make a television show from writing scripts to interviewing talent to recording to going out on set. And I just fell in love with it. So as soon as I graduated, I got a job at MTV in New York, worked there for several years, and then moved to Los Angeles and continued at a bunch of different companies. Um, just, you know, grinding it out, going, traveling a lot, really long hours, but the most fun I could have ever imagined. Yeah. And, you know, spoiler alert, you found it fun for a time, but then there must have come a point where there was a turning point where you're like, okay, I'm not enjoying this as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of change parts here. And I'm wondering what was the, the kind of event or moment that made you want to leave what was once your dream job? Honestly, I loved my job so much. But when I had a family, when I first started having kids, that's when everything changed. So my husband's a television producer as well. And I feel like in Los Angeles, it's very much a bubble. Everyone's in the industry. And we were the first to have kids in our group of friends. And so when we had our first son, it seemed to me like everyone disappeared and we were really alone. And I suffered from postpartum depression at that period. And we I was just trying to figure out what my life would be like working in TV and having a family. And I didn't have anyone to show me what that was like. Everyone was still young, going out seven nights a week, even though we were in our 30s, you know? So it was just like, it's just a different world there. And so we moved back East to have some help from my family. And we both continued to produce in New York City. However, then a couple of years later, I had my second son. And it was right around that time of being pregnant with him that I realized it just changed. So at that point, it wasn't exciting for me anymore. Like the shoots I was going on and I was producing a really fun entertainment news show at that time. So we were interviewing every celebrity you can imagine running around New York City. It was really fun, but I just knew I needed to be a more present mom. I just felt the pressure of we had a two hour commute door to door each way. So by the time I walked across the city, took a subway, took the bus just to get home to get my son from daycare it was a really long and stressful day and I was pregnant at the time and I was doing it and it just, things started changing where I realized I needed to leave early. 
I, I was missing shoots. I just wasn't as invested anymore. And then when my son, my second son was born, my show got canceled. Mm. And at that point, I took it as a sign because in TV, in entertainment, it's very much like a gig economy. You go from one project to the next. It's all about who you know. You have to work to get your next job. And easily at that moment, I could have picked up a phone, called a friend, gotten my next show. That was just what I had been used to doing for 16 years. But at that point, I said, you know what? Maybe this is a sign that something needs to finally change and I'm going to have to be the one to change it. So I kind of took that as I'm not going to pick up the phone. I'm going to try to enjoy being a mom on maternity leave and then figure out life after that. Yeah. And, and when you're a self-starter, there is there is really no holiday or work-life balance or even maternity leave to a degree. It's kind of like, okay, I'm going to have to, you know, if I want to have holiday, I'm sacrificing going on this big job. And, you know, if I'm going to have maternity leave, it means I'm going to have to live with what I've made the last couple months, which probably was less because you were pregnant and all these kind of things. So yeah. you decided like, right, okay, enough of like chasing the money. I need to build something that is, you know, kind of mine and that I have ownership of. And you ended up getting into Snapology, which is a franchise that teaches children STEM, which is, you know, science, tech. I don't know what the engineering and mechanics. Math. Math. Okay, there we go. See, I don't know what STEM is, but you (laughs) probably do more than I do. So if if you talk me through that, how did you come across Snapology? What made it stick with you? You know, obviously you had children, so you probably wanted to teach them these things. But yeah, talk me through that. Yeah, so I found myself, I guess my my littlest one was about six months. And then I was kind of like, okay, I think I need to contribute to the family. My husband's a producer, so he's doing the commute. And that's when I was trying to think of what to do. And I got a nine to five job in marketing nearby my house. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, kind of related. Let's see. It was awful. It was not creative. Um, I really hated it, but I grinded it out because that was a paycheck to contribute to my family. And then at the same time, I said, well, I'm going to go get my master's in education because now, you know, I have these two little boys, we're playing, we're building. Maybe I'll just be a teacher. I was looking for an ends, something that I could start now and then would have a job at the end. So I'm like, oh, I'll just pay all this money. I'll get a master's at night and then I'll be a teacher at the end of it. And about six months later or so, I said, I hate this nine to five job. It's not me. It was a toxic work environment. And this, you know, schooling I'm learning, it's it's interesting, but I don't think I want to be in the classroom. So that's when I really started having a little bit of a panic attack of like, okay, well, these two things are not working out. What am I going to do? And I have always been a big podcast fan. And I was actually listening to a Marie Forleo podcast And she always talks about everything is figure outable. And there was something she said that day. I was eating my lunch during my one hour lunch break on this this awful job I was at. And I listened to something she said and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, okay, I'm going to produce my own life. Like none of this, like none of this is feeling right. I'm not happy. I can't be this present mom I want to be if I'm miserable when I get home. And so I realized I'm going to open a business. And I had no idea what kind of business. So I started searching and I realized that night I was playing with my boys. I had a three-year-old and then like a six-month-old or so at the time. And my three-year-old was building with Legos. And that seemed to be the only time where he would sit still and really focus on a project. And 
something made me think like that would be really cool to open a center where kids could come and build with Legos and learn and focus. And I started researching that. And as I started researching a STEM center of some kind, I found Snapology, which was a, a franchise. And I didn't know anything about franchises other than, you know, a McDonald's or something quite larger. And as I started researching it, I realized, wow, like I've never run a business. I run productions. I run, you know, huge budgets, but I've never run my own business. And maybe it makes sense to buy into a franchise to have that corporate support from headquarters. And so that's what I decided to do. I started researching it. I had many phone calls. My husband and I drove out to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to meet with the CEO. And then I decided to take the leap of faith. I'm like, this marries my skills as a manager, as a producer, with my knowledge now from my master's program in education. And I was just like, okay, I can do this. I can produce this business. And I took the leap and we opened this business. No one in New Jersey, which is where I live, knew of this business. It was a very, very small franchise at the time. It's still pretty small, but we have over 100 or so locations internationally now. But six and a half years ago when I opened, it was very small. And I grew it. And it's, like I said, it's been six and a half years now. And we are in the top three of all of the franchises for the most successful. So it was just a crazy leap of faith, but um, was just exactly what I needed at that time. Yeah. And and that transition just felt right, you know, because as much as you said, oh, I'd, I'd never run a business before this, you know, production is lots of mini micro businesses interacting all at once. The end product is, you know, the show, but the service is so many different things. Okay. We need to get catering and we need to get this. We need to get actors. We need to interview talent. You know, it, it touches in every industry, the showbiz industry, you know, it's in tech, it's in this, it's in that. And the fact that you were able to go, oh, actually, I think I have the skills and you're able to trust in your ability there. You know, that it, it just shows wonders that, you know, that you've been a success with this Snapology thing. I wonder when you started the franchise, what did it look like? What did you get from them? Did you get like a, a kit of things? Did you have like a network of people? I, I always wonder how people, you know, that start franchises, how they find business and how they kind of make it a success. That's a great question, Sam, because I had no idea in the beginning, but I did go for like a week long training where they trained us at the corporate headquarters. And basically then they sent us home and said, send an email out to, they gave us basically a database of, because basically what you do at that time, I didn't have a brick and mortar center. I was just going to offer our services of teaching STEM education um, at schools and rec centers and libraries. So I really had to build up my partnerships in all of these locations, and I was working out of my house. So they gave us a database of all these contacts in my town that they researched for us, which was really helpful. And they said, okay, we'll go back home and send an email saying you're open. And I was like, oh, but I'm not open. Like, I have no idea. But they really gave you the support, and I had the marketing materials. I had, okay, these are the Lego kits and things that you needed to buy, all the materials. So I felt like I had the support. You know, and I really, like you said, I, I took just my initiative from years of reaching out to talent agents and, and sending emails and writing marketing copy and writing scripts. I was like now writing these email blasts to local schools saying, hey, I'd love to partner with you to come in and, and teach STEM. So I was just really 
just trying to utilize all the skills I had before. And then I had the corporate support from our headquarters to really help. And that was great. I leaned a lot on the other franchisees that I became very close with very fast. So really, it was an amazing experience of feeling like you're leaping into this new venture, but you have people there to support you and answer your questions. And so for me, the franchise system was really wonderful then. I think it's changed a lot in the past six years um, in my experience, but I loved it then because really we had that support, but then we had our own autonomy to go and build our individual franchise however we wanted. This was not a McDonald's where everything had to be the same. We really can do what we want, which I loved because you get yeah. to know your customers, you get to know your community that you're in, and you can build out these programs for them. Yeah. I mean, starting a business is scary enough as it is. And, you know, at the moment, there's a lot of, you know, talk around women in STEM and people, you know, having more diversity, equality, all those great buzzwords that people throw around. But starting a business as a woman in STEM is like, you know, three layers of of things to battle through. And I'm wondering, what did you have any challenges when you were starting this business? Did you have any kind of things that you had to overcome? You know, not only in yourself, but you know, when you're out in the world trying to close these deals and make these partnerships type thing. You know, what's funny is I did, I mean, I'm a people person. I am definitely a, a hustler. And so I, I formed really great relationships with people instantly and, and business came pretty quick to me. However, in the beginning, you know, you're not making any money. So I was out there teaching all of these classes myself for the first few months. And I would get parents. And now, meanwhile, if you think about it, I'm teaching to the same age that my kids are. So I'm the same age as these other moms and we're becoming friends. And it was just really a nice fit. And then they would all say, oh, you're such an amazing teacher. What grade did you teach? Mm. And that's when I would have to say, well, actually, I'm a television producer. And that's where that little bit of that imposter syndrome came from, I think. But I did have my master's to go back to like, oh, I am educated in this. And no one batted an eye. They were just like, no, you're fantastic. I often to this day have people say that I was probably, you know, you must have been a special needs teacher, which I take to be such a compliment. Um, but, you know, because I wasn't, but I feel like I went to school for education with my master's and didn't end up going into the classroom, but I get to teach through my business. So it's the best of both worlds. Um, but that was probably the one thing of people thinking I was a teacher and me being honest and saying, no, I come from television. But the really interesting thing, Sam, is that then it would open up this conversation of like, well, how did you go from celebrities to children? Mm. And that's when it started getting my mind kind of thinking about, you know, the career change and leading me down into like the career coaching path that I'm on as well. But it really was that funny conversation that people would be so intrigued and then they'd be like, well, well, you're, you're great. Like, this is great. We love your program. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that you kind of was like, listen, I, I'm not faking it till I make it type thing. I, I have the experience. I have this, I have that, but I am just, you know, sort of learning on the job is a great thing. And the fact that you're able to go, well, you know, celebrities are technically different from children, but children are little celebrities in their own right and in their own mind. They're, you know, <laughs> such extravagant and crazy characters, you know, they're unfiltered and all that kind of stuff. I guess that kind of, you know, 
I wouldn't say loosened the kind of situation up, but made it a bit easier for you to kind of, you know, speak freely as it were. Were you finding yourself saying to people like, oh, so what do you do? Okay, that's interesting. Have you ever thought about doing something else type thing? Or did you kind of just, you know, did you kind of come across the coaching much later than that? Or was it even bubbling from then? It was it was in the back of my mind, but really it it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that the idea of of moving into career coaching hit me. But it had been all of these years of people of this conversation coming up mm. and me having this conversation and and having people start to ask me like, well, OK, well, how did you do it? Because I don't want to do that two hour commute into the city anymore either. And it started being like, OK, I'd have friends now of my kids friends, parents asking me like, okay, I'm thinking of trying this. Can we talk about it? Can we go to coffee? And so I went through several different friends or acquaintances who made that shift from leaving Manhattan to starting small businesses in our area or finding a different job. And I would just kind of be that confidant or friend to kind of give advice from what I did. And then I started realizing there are a lot of parents, a lot of women, especially that I think we get to this almost, you know, our 30s, 40s, whatever it might be, that you start going, okay, I had this amazing career, but now the kids are here and just everything shifts. And you, like me, you can still love what you do, but something has to give. And for whatever reason, we're still in the world where it seems to be the woman who has to make that change. You know, my husband didn't say, oh, I'll give up my job and and stay home. So it, for some reason, always tends to, in my, from what I've witnessed, end up on the woman. And you just have to, instead of just saying, all right, well, I'll stick with this nine to five job that I'm miserable at, there's other options. And I started thinking like, okay, I, I want to really help these women not feel stuck and figure out what they can do in this new phase of their life that can bring them as much joy as they had in their first act. Mm. And what advice would you give to someone looking to start, you know, the second act of their career or make a big change in their life or career? To really start with thinking about your why, like, why do you want to change? And really, because if you're going to make a change, you want to make sure you're a thousand percent positive of what you want to do, because you don't want to make a change and find yourself in the same position again, right? You don't want to change to another job and realize you're equally as miserable. So what I think is to really think about what you're good at, what skills you have, and what you might want to do that will fit into your lifestyle. So for me, I didn't think, to be honest, in the beginning that any of my entertainment industry skills would transfer to anything else because it's such a niche industry. And I was like, what does television have to do with any other industry? So it took me to really look at the individual things I did, as small as they seemed, you know, writing scripts, um, talking to people, pitching, like little things like that. I'm like, well, you do that in other industries too. And so that's where my wheels kind of got, you know, my confidence increased a little when I thought about opening the business. Um, So for other people, I say to think of those little skills, even if they're super, super small, those can really work in a lot of other industries, I'm sure. And then think about your non-negotiables, because at this stage of our life, if we're leaping into a second act, there are non-negotiables that we can stand by. Like maybe it is your kids and you need to be off by three o'clock to pick them up from school. Or maybe you need your weekends free, or maybe you can only work from home, whatever it might be. This is kind of where you get to be picky in a sense when you're thinking about it. So just know your non-negotiables, know your why, 
know your skill set, and then just start making these lists of what in your wildest dreams would you like to do. And then we really focus on each of those and narrow it down to something that you can attain. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people kind of neglect is, you know, deciding what their why is. Why are they doing this? Why do they not like the job they're doing? Okay, if it's the commute, you can work closer to home. If you work closer to home, you might not be able to make it to the big city to make the big money. Or, you know, if you're working from home, okay, are you able to work from home? Is that a possibility? Is your house big enough? Okay, if you're working remote, you might be able to move somewhere that's cheaper, more outdoor space. If you've got children, that's great. If you've got, you can now have pets. All these kind of things kind of stack up. And yeah, the benefits, you know, they they tend to pay off. But the thing is, when you're in that first moment of deciding to change your career, you know, you always, you know, anybody who says they weren't scared is is lying, basically. You, You are scared. What can you do to, you know, make sure or, to, you know, try to increase your chances of not only, you know, successfully deciding what career you want to move into or deciding to leave, but, you know, ensuring that that move is successful? I think it's taking your time with it. You know, we see in movies and TV that everyone, you know, runs in and they just say, I quit. And it's like this big moment that everybody dreams of having one day, especially when they're miserable at their job. And I think that is not the practical way to go about it. Mm. So if you're in a job where you are not so happy, take a deep breath and use that to your advantage, right? Like I like to call it learning and leaping. So while you have a paycheck coming in, let's do that research we just talked about. Let's start writing down our list of skills. Let's research. Let's do informational interviews where you can actually reach out. I mean, we are so connected now. You and I met online. You know, you can meet people, talk. Everyone wants to chat. So you can find someone at the company you're interested in or in the role that you're interested in and ask them for a five-minute Zoom call. Or if you're local, let's go grab a coffee, whatever it might be. I'm sure you can get some information to help you feel more educated about that possible role. So do all that research now while you have a paycheck. And, you know, maybe you give yourself a six-month lead. And in six months, I need to make a move. So, okay, now each month, break it down as to what you want to do. Maybe one month, you're going to research your skills. Month two, you're going to reach out to people and gather more information. Month three, you're going to work on your resume. So many people who have been working for years haven't updated their resume, and updated their skills. Um, it's always important to update all of your social media. You want to make sure it looks clean. You want to make sure it looks like it should for the profession or the role that you're interested in for your next act. So there's lots of preparation you can do. And I think the more you do that, the more confident you are in your decision before you walk in there and quit. So I think, you know, as much as you might not be happy at that job, take that paycheck and maybe you take an hour or so on your boss's dime and you do some research at work. But, you know, you you find the time and you just feel that much more confident when the time comes. Yeah. I mean, preparation is everything when it comes to making big moves. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you're thrust into them and you have no other options. But it's like you said, when you have the opportunity, you know, if you if you can take that time but also make sure you have a, a set point where you're like right by this date yeah. or by this amount of time i'm gonna make the leap because you know there's plenty of people that go oh yeah i really hate my job and they whinge and they moan but you know three years later they're still there five exactly. years later they're still there you know they're they're having their retirement party and they go oh i hated it the whole time here it's like your life is meant to be lived you know to 
as much as possible to be enjoyed, you know, where possible, you know, we, mm-hmm. luckily for most of us and probably for the people listening to this, we're not, you know, we're not stuck in where we're at. We can always move, whether you've got kids, you know, family, whatever, you can always find a way to work in a way that's, you know, not only beneficial to yourself, but also, you know, beneficial to those around you. Cause a lot of people will go, Oh, you know, it's not, it's not my fault. Yeah, I need to make this amount of money. Da, 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 da. But it's like, if you're happier, then you're a more present and more productive parent is, is what I've heard. I don't personally have yeah. children, but that's what I've heard from people that have children is the happier you are is the better you show up as a parent and a partner and all that kind of stuff. I think so. And, and you know what, like to what you were saying, you can always go back. So if you do make that switch, you can go back to that job. You're still that person. And I think a lot of people feel like if I break ties, then that's it. There's no going back. But it's not true. It, we're not wrapped up in our career identity. So I still stop myself when I say I used to be a TV producer because you know what? I still am. I could do it tomorrow if I wanted to. So I think if you kind of say that to yourself too when you're making a change, you know you can go back. You can go back to that job if it doesn't work out, but you'll never wake up you know, in your 80s and say, oh, I wish I tried that. Like, at least you tried it, you know, and you can check it off your box, you know, check it off your list. I'm big on, we should be able to check all the boxes of what we want to do so that we don't have those regrets later. So if you want to write a book, if you want to start your own business, now's the time to do it. And you can do it in a way where you feel confident and you're educated about it before you jump in. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, you mentioned there about, you know, say you want to write a book, start a business or change your career. You actually have your own podcast, you know, the second act. Let me get it right. The second act success podcast, bit of a tongue twister. And you speak <laughs> to all these types of people that have done these types of things. You said it was mainly for women. So I'm wondering, are there any stories or people that you've spoken to on your podcast that have inspired you? And what did you take from those situations? Every single guest I speak to inspires me. So I have guests that have done their second act and they try to tell us about their journey, which is so interesting in the hopes of inspiring others. And I have experts on as well that can kind of talk about different areas that you might jump into. But really, there was actually a friend of mine who was working in high fashion in New York City, Donna Karen, like all these huge names. And she decided that she couldn't stand the commute again. And she decided while she was on her commute, she was going to take a class in um, lactation consulting. So to help family with breastfeeding after they have babies. And she used her commute to learn. She got certified. And then when she had her certification, she left her job and opened a small business. And some people looked at her like, why would you leave fashion, the clothes, the people you were meeting? And she said, I wanted to be near my kids. I didn't want to miss another Halloween. I didn't want to miss another birthday. And she used her time. I just love the fact that she used her commute to educate herself about it. And then she just went for it. So that was like a very drastic change. But now she has her own successful small business and she's a a more present mom in her mind. Um, And there's just a lot of other inspiring people that have... Um, really taken a passion. There's another woman I spoke to that I was fangirling over. Um, have you ever seen the movie Twister way back in the day with Helen Hunt? No. All about tornadoes? No, I haven't. No. <laughs> well, it's all about tornadoes and tornado chasing, which is, okay. you know, really random. Mm. But she was a communications director and working in the environment and weather. And, and she loved storm chasing. And she just decided one day, 
I want to go photograph storms. And she like learned about it on her own through YouTube and other research. And now she runs this business teaching women and girls about storm chasing Hmm. and takes these photos and lives this life out in her car in nature. And it's just, you know, really inspiring stories. So those are just a couple, but yeah, a lot more. Yeah. I mean, one thing I always say to people is it sounds strange when you say it, but there's people out there waiting to give you their money for you to be you. And it's, they go, what do you mean by that? And I go, well, what are you into? Oh, I'm into this. I'm into that. No. What is the thing that you literally can't stop thinking about? Can't stop looking at? Can't stop, you know, telling people about? That is the thing that someone out there wants to pay you, you know, very handsomely to do. And, you know, for you at the moment, it is your Snapology and your, you know, coaching and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm wondering, as you're building these businesses and as you're working through these businesses, you must be learning lessons every day. And I'm wondering, you know, you're still on this journey, but what are the biggest lessons you've learned so far in running two businesses, having a podcast while being a mother? You know, most people don't even have one of those three things going on and they still don't think they have enough time or have learned anything. But surely you must have one, if not many lessons that you could share with me right now. Yeah, so many. I think it's delegating, right? I, I have an amazing team at Snapology that's really that knew I wanted to focus on second act success in my career coaching. So they really are taking the reins. Uh, this week, actually, my director is on jury duty. So I've been really stressed out going back mm. and forth, but it's all good. Um, and even delegating as far as family. My husband works from home now. He's still a television producer, but he's able to work from home. And he really picks up the slack with the kids. If I'm here chatting with you, he's making the kids dinner. So it's really just having that team around you to support you is like everything. I feel like you can't get anything done without team of people to help you and having accountability partners. Because with my career coaching business, I really truly am alone in this business. And I have friends that I've met along the way, other podcasters like you, Sam, that, you know, we bond over just chatting on each other's podcasts and then we can connect afterwards and help each other and support each other. And I think that those accountability partners is just helps you keep going, right? And you learn and share ideas from each other. So really building that base around you is the most important thing. And just knowing that there's never enough time. And that's kind of the beauty of being your own boss in a way is that I can have so many things on my to-do list, which I do, (laughs) which you did too, I'm sure. Mm. And you just go, okay, well, it's, you know, five o'clock and it's dinner time. So I'm going to close the laptop go hang out with the kids, make dinner, and it'll all still be there tomorrow. Mm. So I just am still learning that, but being mindful about where I am, when work comes in, and that if I don't post two times a day on social media, it's not a big deal. No one's going to notice but me, you know, and just keep going day after day and you'll slowly grow and slowly build your businesses. Yeah. And I'm wondering when you're building out a coaching business, what, what does day one of a coaching business look like? I'm assuming you started online and you were like, cool, I need clients. Otherwise, this isn't a business. This is just an expensive hobby. So <laughs> talk me through that process. Well, I actually started with the podcast first. Mm. So I launched Second Act Success, the podcast. I started having um, people come on and tell us their story. And that's how it kind of started. And then I started doing some solo episodes. I got certified as a coach. I did my own research until I felt comfortable. And then I started um, I started building my own course out. So I mm-hmm. built a course on how you can 
start your second act and get your roadmap together in six weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I just launched that in the fall. I got my first students and started doing group coaching and one-on-one coaching with them. And then I opened up my one-on-one coaching and yeah, it's just, I think building out my course really helped me learn a lot of the tools that I now use with my one-on-one student, my one-on-one clients as well. Um, and just getting it out there. It's that imposter syndrome to, you know, get over and just say, oh, I'm a career coach now. And, you know, and then you got people that like to listen to you and, you know, enjoy the stories that you share in the podcast and they feel like they know you. And then they're like, Hey, can you help me? And then you just, it kind of goes, you know, word of mouth from there. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's still growing. Um, but I'm enjoying it. And every time I get a success from a student or a client, I'm over the moon. And I'm like, this is why I'm doing this to help them feel confident and, and become happier. Yeah. I mean, basically you're uprooting someone's life, but you're uprooting them into a better place. You know, sometimes a a plant will outgrow its pot and it's time to take it out the pot, loosen up the soil and put it into a bigger pot so it can grow and be what it's truly meant to be. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering are you building a community around this? Is there kind of like a community aspect where you let all your clients interact with each other? Or do you kind of keep it at like, you know, almost like a therapist, you know, one-to-one here, one-to-one there, that type of thing. My course in the, in the fall, we had a group community that all the students would talk and we would meet once a week for group coaching. Now my next session is not starting until the spring. So we'll have that again. And I'm hoping by the spring, early summer to have a community aspect where it'll just be, you don't have to join the course. It'll just be a community plus weekly group coaching and access to me. So I'm hoping to get that up and running soon because I think you know, if you think about a lot of my clients are working, you know, they're working during the day and they might not be able to join the group coaching or, you know, participate in live workshops through the course. So, you know, joining online for an online community is more accessible to them. Mm. So I'm trying to kind of meet everyone where they are. And um, yeah, I'm working on the community. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of jumping back here, but this is something that anybody that I meet that's a parent and, you know, is brave enough to run their own business. I always kind of ask as many questions as I can dancing around this point, mainly for my own kind of interest, but also for the listener out there that might be in a similar position. So again, two businesses, a podcast, a mother, two, uh, is it two children or is it more than two? Two little boys. Two little boys, hands full. How do you plan your life? You said there's times, you know, where dinner might be coming up and you go, right, the to-do list can wait, but you know, building a business, running some teams, building another business, you know, trying to build a community. How do you plan your life? How do you, make sure that you're making those steps towards the end goal while still keeping all, you know, all the other plates spinning. You know what? I try to have me time. I go on vacations with like my best friends from college. We had, we plan them. So I know to look forward to them. Mm. Uh, we just planned a family vacation. So it's just to have those things to look forward to. Um, so I can plan my work, my podcast interviews, my client work leading up to that. So that's something that I try to plan the year ahead for those kind of breaks to look forward to because that kind of keeps me going. Mm. Um, I'm currently building an office for myself, which was a big, like it's small and in my um, garage. It's like a little like quarter of the garage, but it's going to be my space to record where I can really feel like I'm legit, you know, working there because I can't work at my Snapology business because then I talk Snapology all the time and right. I talk with everybody. So I'm like, I can't be here because we socialize too much. So I'm working on that. And that's a big step for me. And it's an investment, 
But I was like, my hus- I told my husband, I'm like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like, I'm finding the money to do this because this is my space to really, truly grow in the business where I won't have as many distractions and all of that. So I think it's really prioritizing what you need to feel productive. And those are the kind of things for me that I can feel productive, you know, with having my own space soon. I have a vacation planned in April with the family. So now I'm planning everything up until then. I just kind of plan my life in quarters or seasons um, and try to find that time to say, okay, well, maybe I should read a book for an hour once in a while that's not business related or self-help or any of that and try to, you know, find the time to really be with yourself too, because that's the time that you can think right? Like you work all day and you're doing the podcast and your favorite thing, Sam, is probably to listen to podcasts too. And then it's just like, (laughs) yeah, my entire day doing, I work editing podcasts and then I record podcasts. Then I listen to podcasts. It's all podcasts (laughs) from front to back and sometimes books mixed in there. That's literally all it is. And I love that. And we love it. But don't you find yourself sometimes saying like, like I listen to a lot of podcasting podcasts or business podcasts. Mm. And every once in a while, I'm like, I need to turn it off and listen to like, I'm listening to like a nineties, like recap of the nineties, like fun podcast. And I'm like, okay, that is a no brainer. I can walk the dog and listen to that and just smile instead of thinking about all the things on our to-do list. So just trying to carve out that time to step back from the busy tasks helps me too. Um, but yeah, but always just, you've got to plan. It's always a schedule, right? <laughs> always planning and blocking out time. Oh, okay. I mean, you mentioned as well, you know, you said you listen to a lot of podcasts. You said you read here and there. Do you read, you know, for education purposes to better yourself and to try and improve your your kind of, you know, overall mindset or, you know, your business knowledge? Is, is that the kind of stuff you're reading or is it mostly like nonfiction or fiction stuff? That's the, that's the kind that I like to read. I like to read business books. Like I have a John Maxwell book right now that I'm reading, but I try to make myself read. I love young adult novels. I know it sounds crazy, but like yeah. thrillers and like all of that is what one day I would love to write a book like that. That's pure fiction, yeah. like, you know, college age, whatever it might be. But so I try to read those because that is a true escape. Mm. Cause when I'm reading like my John Maxwell book, I'm taking notes and I'm dog-earing pages that I want to now talk about on my podcast or write a blog about. And it's just that work cycle again. So I try to, when I am reading more times than not, go to the fiction. Right. Okay. How about you? I mean, I'm really boring. I really like nonfiction texts. I actually have a fiction podcast, which I've never really mentioned on here, but I have a fiction podcast, a sci-fi one that I wrote three years ago now actually and I'm working on season two and a, a little kind of season 1.5 but I actually enjoy non-fiction quite a lot not always business stuff but mostly business stuff it's quite it's quite drab actually it's quite boring that I, I enjoy that but it, it's just it's just who I am and you know you, sometimes you have to embrace who you are but seeing as you ask me that yes. question do you have any favorite business books anybody that I have on the podcast that either has a big bookshelf behind them or mentions books I have to ask them what, you know, what's your favorite business book? And if we've read it, then great. We can nerd out about it. And if I haven't read it, I add that straight to my list and read it before we speak next. <laughs> have you read Finish by John Acuff? John Acuff. No, I haven't. 
Okay, it's really good. He had a book that was start as well, but this is about finish. And right. this is one of my favorites that I tell a lot of people about because it's it's about finishing, like mm. anything that you start and mm. how you can finish, whether it's a project or going to your second act, whatever it might be. And it's just, again, that's a book that I have a million pages dog-eared and highlighted and yeah. um, is one that I reference quite often. So yeah, check it out. Finish. John Acuff. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of books like Atomic Habits, which is like, you know, the small <laughs> yeah. the small daily things you do account to the end goal and people don't really think about that. But yes, to me, very to much listener, similar. Listen, mm-hmm. well, not listen to it. Well, you can actually, it probably is on Audible. Probably. Listen to us, read the book. <laughs> yes. There you go. But okay. And do you have any other favorite podcasts that you listen to on a regular basis that are like, you know, business related, maybe even like casual related, just, you know, uh, the content you're into is, is going to be of interest to somebody out there and why not share it? Well, I do love your podcast. Oh, so definitely you. listening to yours. And I also listen to Jenna Kutcher Gold Digger. Okay. I listen to that one quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I listen to Podcasting Business School. Okay. Um, to you know about growing the podcast. Those are two that I really listen to a lot. Even um, Marie Forleo's podcast and um, Entrepreneurs on Fire. Ah, Entrepreneurs on Fire. Yeah, yeah that that's everyone a, listens. Yeah, everyone <laughs> listens to that. That's quite a quite a big podcast actually. Okay. Yes, yes. That was one of the first podcasts I think I ever listened to. That and Jenna Kutcher's. Those were like my first two. Entrepreneurs on Fire is one of those like OG podcasts that's been going for quite a long time and has a lot of steam building up behind it. You know, that yes. type of thing. I got to, I met him at um, Podcast Movement last summer and I was like, it was so funny. It was like I was meeting a big celebrity, but it was just someone who had been in my ear for years. Yeah, so. it's strange. You know, you listen to someone for hours and hours and hours and you feel like you know them and then Really, you do know them, but they don't know you. So you don't really know how to approach them. But I, I guess they're used to it. You know, that's one of those things that they're just <laughs> sure. really, really used to. Mm. Well, Shannon, I, I have one last question for you. It's a question I ask every guest because it's, t- to me, it kind of gives me a kind of feeling for the person where they're at now and, and how things are going for them type thing. So the question I want to ask you is, what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? Mm, I think it's, having control, having influence on creating someone else's better situation Mm -hmm. to give them a better life or to help them see, I guess, the light that maybe they can't see in themselves. So it's really just seeing that transformation is, is so cool. And really it can be between both of my businesses, if you think about it, with the children, you know, building and learning. And the idea is to teach kids to think like engineers and want to get into STEM when they get older. But for career coaching, it's working with other people, you know, my age that are in my situation or were in my situation that I was in and letting them see that they can do more than they think they can and that they're not stuck and they don't have to stay in the same job from graduation to retirement. And I think when that light bulb goes off, that is something that just makes me so excited because I'm giving them something. I'm giving them the, you know, time to build a better life. Where can the people find you online? I'd say secondactsuccess.co is my website. So that is where you can get links to the podcast, which is Second Act Success. You can get links to my newsletter where you can stay in touch. There's some free resources there, career advice, all of that. So secondactsuccess.co. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 